Well, if you'll grab your Bibles, we're going to be in John 13 this morning. If you remember last week, we've been talking as we've been going through the book of the disciple, uh, I mean, book of, the, the, of John, uh, Jesus was hanging out and eating with the disciples in the last week of his life, and Jesus had actually, you know, arranged the dinner. They didn't have to do it. He wanted to some, uh, spend some time with the guys here and, and um, didn't want Judas to mess it up. Judas had already made the arrangements. He'd already got the money. He was going to betray Jesus, and he didn't want it happening too soon because the time was not yet ready for that. So he, he set it up. Um, it it kind of makes you wonder if Judas was the one that usually set up these uh, mills and all that. I mean, he was in charge of the money. He was the one always going and doing this kind of stuff. So maybe that's why Jesus did it. We don't know. So they come into the setting, they recline at these low tables and pillows all around. And, and, and now as they came in, no one was there to wash their feet. There's no young one there that, that is, uh, you know, on the premises that normally would do that. And chances are, you know, maybe Jesus did it that way on purpose. We don't know. But we do know that he wanted people to serve, and he talked about that. So he even told someone, or maybe he told somebody, you know, no one should be there. So the disciples and Jesus start eating dinner, and everybody's feet are dirty, and they're all laying around, and it probably wasn't smelling the greatest. But no one did anything about it until Jesus got up and starts to wash everyone's feet. And we talked about it, you know, what does it take? About five minutes a person to wash their feet, maybe three minutes, I don't know. So anywhere 45 minutes to an hour to do this very unusual thing at the, you know, right near the table. You would never have your peer, your best friend, much less the Lord and Savior do this. I mean, these are people's dirty feet, right? You get a servant to do that. And Jesus sat back down, and he says to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? Now, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. We look back and go, they, they didn't understand at all. They didn't get it, because we've, most of us has read the story. We've gone on and, and, and read about it. But he goes on and says in verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. From now on, there should be no arguments like you had all day today about who is the greatest in the kingdom. You need, to, you need to park your egos, guys. You need to put them away. And I want you to wash each other's feet. Serve one another like I'm serving you. So guys, you, 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 you know, it's almost like he's saying, do you think you could do that? And they're all like, yeah, yeah. You know how it is when you tell a child, you're, you're, you're fussing at your son or daughter or you're talking to a young one in class and they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. I get it, I get it. And you're thinking in your head, they have no clue. They're not getting it, you know. You know, sometimes that happens. Not always, but sometimes. And that's where we stopped last week. And one of the things I was left thinking about was, you know, as we move on to these next verses, is that Jesus, in the course of doing all these things, not only did he wash Simon Peter's feet, he also washed Judas's feet. And he didn't yank his toes while he was doing it. I mean, he knew who was going to betray him, right? I would have been like, let me see your feet, Judas. You know what I'm saying? 
Or is that just me, you know? I got something special, a little bit of acid bath for you. It's going to make your feet feel great, you know? Have you ever done something really good for somebody and later on they turned out to be a Judas for you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you kind of feel stupid. Or maybe you feel guilt. Or maybe you're just plain mad about it. I think we've all been there. You know, and you're like, I can't believe. And your friends are like, oh, I could have told you their pattern. I could have told you. And you're like, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me about their personality? You know, after all the good stuff that you did. And you're thinking, if I had only known. Now, we've all thought that, but let me say this. That is not a Christ-like statement. And I've even made it myself. If I had only known, because it's very clear here that Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and he still washed Judas' feet. You know, part of me wants to say, well, I'm a pastor, I get that, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, I understand this, I would do the same thing. But in reality, probably not. This is actually one of the very things about Jesus that bugged Judas. Judas is sitting there going, I pulled this off. Because if Jesus knew the money was already in my pocket, he would never do this. Never. And that's what bugs me about Jesus. He never gives up on a person. You know, I, you know, I, I can imagine Judas going, I thought he was going to be a bigger Messiah than this. So you have Peter and Judas both there with all the other disciples. And Jesus starts making comments in verse 18. He who shares my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Now what Jesus is quoting is, is a psalm written by David. It's Psalms 41. And the psalm comes out of relationship with, with uh, uh, David and uh, Ahipothel, his friend that had sat at his table, that, it, that he'd shared with him. They were really good friends, part of his government. And Ahipothel totally betrayed David. And David wrote this psalm. He says, even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared bread with me, he has lifted up his heel against me. Not just anybody, but him. I mean, it's a cruel world out there, isn't it? I mean, it, it can be a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. You expect you know, a certain amount of people that's going to lift their heel against you. And you've even excused it from time to time. When, you know, and, and maybe you've even excused yourself from doing it to someone time, you know, from time to time. I mean, would you have done something like this to yourself, or is that just how business works? Or would you have done that? I mean, is it just business? But David, he was mourning the fact that his friend is doing this. And it's the same thing that Jesus was dealing with with Judas. And the same thing. It's not just someone that was going to betray him. It was one of the 12 that he had picked. He said, come, you, 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 be one of my disciples. Not just any disciple, not just one of the hundreds that are following, one of the 12. And he betrayed him. Look at what he says in verse 21. 
After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. I mean, Jesus was hurting here. He was hurting. Very, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. One of you. Now, there were 12 of them. I'm sure the math person went, so I have an 8% chance. You know, it was one of the 12. Verse 22, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. And John is so honest here. He didn't say they were amazed that one of them were going to betray him. He didn't say they were just worried. No, he basically goes, they're all looking around going, okay, who is it? Is it me? Is it them? I mean, they're all kind of wondering. Verse 23, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, hey, basically, I put my foot in my mouth already today, so why don't you ask him which one he means? Now, there's been much made of the fact that John says this more than once. And you will not see the statement about John where, where it says, I, are, uh, you know, I am the one Jesus loved and other writings uh, except those made by who? John. John says often, the one that Jesus loved. And we kind of laugh because we kind of relate to him in, in this way. But I also want you to know that I think he writes this for another reason. He wants us to understand how much the Lord has changed him. He was the son of thunder. He was one of the sons of thunder. You know, the loud fisherman. The one that just kind of walked into the room. Everybody knew he was there. The one kid in Sunday school class that always needed extra attention. You all know who I'm talking about, right? Does a name come to your mind or something like that, you know? With my personality, I, I would have never needed extra attention in class. You know, I mean, this is the guy, John, who his mom went to Jesus and asked if he could sit at the right hand of Jesus. And then Jesus came into his life and changed him forever. He changed him into a disciple of love, as we call him. Someone who cared about other people. Maybe he learned it from washing other people's feet. Hmm. And now, if you want to see the effect of Jesus' love on John, just look at his life. So John says to Jesus, verse 25, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping it into the, the, or dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So John told him, what are you, uh, what are you, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the mill understood why Jesus said this to them. Since Judas had, you know, had uh, charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as, soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. Now, I love this. John is such a good writer. And maybe it was with the help of the Holy Spirit, or maybe he was already a good writer, and the Lord just put the Holy Spirit into him. But it's amazing how he writes, because if you read through this, you know, we, oftentimes we'd read through this quickly and we'd go, okay, it was night. He left and it was night. 
But we ought to slow down a little bit because Jesus has just told you it was night. And as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. And John, who was feeling all this, you know, all this passion and everything going on, he would just have, you know, almost like shivered when he wrote this down. And it was night. He would have felt something, I think. He would have been like, what was, oh man, it was night. John tries to give us in this one statement that darkness is going on inside of Judas's life. It's not just that it was night outside, it was night inside of Judas also. There's a darkness that many of us in this room have felt in our lives. When, when you've known the right thing to do, and yet you choose to do the wrong thing. And Jesus is right there looking at us. Someone might betray me, Jesus says. Someone who will betray me is the one whom whom I will give the piece of bread. Now here's the bread. To have been known, to have been warned by the love of Jesus. Jesus hasn't made Judas do this. He didn't line it up. Jesus is is demonstrating this extent of his love. He knows he's going to betray him, yet he's still there. He washed his feet knowing it was going to happen. He even quotes Psalm 41, you know, almost like he put it up on a huge neon sign. Are you listening? Don't do it. But at the same time, knowing that Judas' heart and his decision had already been made. And the darkness of Judas knowing what was right and still deciding to do what was wrong. Have you ever done that? I know this is wrong. Maybe even told people your plans. They say it's wrong, but you still plan to do it. This is wrong. This is dark. And someone has has walked with Jesus for three years to do this kind of dark thing. They're going to be miserable afterwards. It was night, John said. I mean, have you ever thought this? If I could just walk with Jesus, if I could have just walked with him, I'm jealous of these guys. I mean, they were there with him. If I could have just seen one of his miracles, or maybe just four or five miracles, yet... We can't use that excuse because one of his own actually walked with him, saw the miracles, and then betrayed him. If I could have just been one of the A-list guys for three years, oh man, I could be such a great Christian. I would be such a good Christian, Pastor Allen. I mean, I would. But Judas blows that whole thought right out of the water. He had it all. And Jesus loved him dearly and deeply. In fact, the, the, this passage really demonstrates how far God will go to actually love someone. Hmm. Religion doesn't like to tell you that. Religion likes to say, hey, you got three chances, pal. 
And if you don't get it straightened out by these three chances, that is it. You are done. But Jesus blows that right out of the water by the way he treats Judas. Right up to the very hour that Judas Iscariot is working his plan, Jesus was reaching out to him. The reality is this. Jesus will love you and love you and love you and love you. And he gives you the choice to love him back. And what is sad, and this is, it just breaks my heart, is this. Some of us reject the rule of Jesus in our lives. And it causes pain. And if you're in pain today, know this. He is reaching out to you. He's reaching out to you. And you have a chance to either admit it or go on and do what you're going to do. See, Jesus loves you. I mean, give me a break. You're not Judas. But if he reaches out to Judas, calls him friend, teaches him, washes his feet, then certainly he will do it for you. He wants to draw you in. You know, but what is amazing is that you can have three years like Judas and still be a Judas. And that's scary. It is scary to, to me at how good Judas is at fooling those who were around him. 92% of the rest of the disciples he had fooled. I mean, it's easy to fool those out there. It's not so easy to fool those who live with you, right? And pull it off. And yet that's what he's doing. I mean, doesn't it scare you to think about how good you are at lying? I've told my, my, my uh, well, my youngest one doesn't quite get it yet, but my oldest one has. And, and you know, I, I, I've told him before, I said, uh, and not that I caught him in the, or any, any of this, but just in discussion, I said, you can lie to me and get, get away with it, but then you have to live with it. We all have a choice to tell the truth or to lie. And again, because uh, he, he's sitting in here, I, I want to make it, he wasn't lying to me at the time. I, we were just having a discussion, but it's scary at how easily we are liars, right? We can just say it, it goes on, and you're like, ooh, I got away with that. Now, maybe you don't have that physical reaction, but in your mind, your mind's going, yeah, they don't, they took that. That is awesome. It's scary. We can look at someone right in the eye and bend the truth. He hung out with Jesus for three years, and the best that we can figure is, is that maybe he was just disappointed about who Jesus was as the Messiah probably about what was going on and how it was happening. We don't really know. But when he started to follow Jesus, thinking this guy is the real deal, he's going to take over politically. This is our chance. And then he didn't do it like he thought it should be done. And when Jesus in John 6 sent the crowd away and a whole bunch of, of people just left following Jesus because he wouldn't perform one miracle after another miracle after another miracle after another miracle in front of them, he said to the disciples, what about you guys? You're going to leave me also? And I'm sure Judas was sitting there going, maybe I should. I don't know. Hmm. You know, Palm Sunday comes and goes. And 
He has a tremendous opportunity to lead a revolt, Jesus does, but he does nothing. I bet Judas the year before said, okay, I'm done. If you ever made a decision like that, but you still hung out where you were at, but your heart wasn't in it, that's what he's doing here. What is it like when you start to follow Jesus? Does it change your life? Did it change your life? Because you think that Jesus is going to be one way. And then as you mature, you start to understand Jesus isn't there to solve all your financial problems. Jesus isn't there to instantly save your marriage problems. And that's weird to say, but hear me out. Some of us think, well, if I go to Jesus, he'll save all my marriage. If I go to Jesus, he'll, he'll solve all my problems with my child. Lord, if you'll just do this, I will serve you. And we go to God with a, with a motive. Lord, if you will just be the Lord that I'm telling you to be, Lord, if you will just you know, save this certain situation, Lord, here are my piles of demands. Oh, I mean prayer request. And he comes walking through and doesn't even have the courtesy to start reading our list. And then we say, I'm so disappointed in you, Lord. I am mad at you. How can you be God if you can't even do this? He, you know, how can you let this happen to me? You know, for all of Jesus' love, Judas went through with it anyway. That tells me something very important about God. God does not force people to do something they don't want to do. Now, you know, now the Lord will at times allow a person's heart to be hardened in the direction that they're heading. If they keep heading this direction, the Lord goes, okay, you keep going that direction. I'm just going to let your heart be hardened. And you have a choice. Are you going to have a hardened heart? Or are you going to repent and come back toward the Lord? Because eventually the Lord will say, okay, if that's what you want to do. <coughs> we saw that with Pharaoh. And we saw that with Judas. The Lord will at times say, okay, if that's the direction you're going, then go. But the love of the Lord never stops. But here's the deal. That wasn't enough for Judas. It wasn't enough. Judas had decided what kind of God that he should have been, and he didn't meet those expectations. So the bottom line was, when he loved Judas, Judas didn't love him back. We must love Jesus back not for who we want him to be but for who he is we must love him back that is our part of the thing lord i love you change my life mold me into the person you want me to be you know <clears throat> we would love it if jesus solved all our problems right i mean we could all come up with a list of of things that we want jesus to save us from right 
Well, what is the scripture? And, and I think Gary even alluded to this a little bit today in the communion message. You know, the scripture, uh, Psalms, I think, what is it, 23, uh, if my memory's correct. Uh, it's not always correct, but, you know, Yea, though I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, you know it. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He doesn't just get rid of the valley. And it was actually a valley, a valley called the shadow of death that, that, he, that David is alluding to as he, he writes that passage, okay? But what's amazing is he's like, I'm going to be there with you as you walk through it. I'm not just going to solve the problem and take you out of that. He's like, I will go with you through that valley. We have to love Jesus back. You know, Peter made more mistakes than Judas. But the difference between Peter and Judas is Peter loved back. We must love the Lord back. Lord, I love you. And if you're crazy enough to love me and choose me and have me represent you in this world, which is a ridiculous decision on your part, Lord, he's like, well, I know you. And I choose to love you. And I want you to love me back. Verse 31, and see if you can pick up on a key word here. It says, when he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified. God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. When something like that is said, you know something difficult's about to happen, you know? What glorifies God is when we partner up with him and do the impossible. That's when my actions glorify him. He goes on in verse 33, My children, I will be with you for only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. But this everyone will know, or by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John goes from a key word of glorifying, glorifying God. If you want to glorify God, how do you do that? You love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. To me, this is completely backwards, right? To me, this should be, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you go out into the world and love them. Go out into the world and love them. That would make sense. But he said, no, 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 no. You will, people will know you're my disciples, not by loving the world, but by loving each other. And if you love each other, therefore, you will end up loving the world. But you have to start with each other. Jesus is not even going, on, you know, going there in this statement. He's saying, just love one another. If you 11 guys could figure that out, not just put up with one another, not just sing kumbaya and enjoy the, the, the campfire. No, I mean love. I want you to love each other as I have loved you. That is all. So we have to think, how have you loved me? 
Well, first off, I loved you more. I loved you before you even loved me. Jesus says basically. I also loved you regardless, regardless of if you loved me back. I didn't stop loving you because of your behavior. I love you unconditionally, completely. And by my actions, you will see how much I loved you and I served you. Did you notice a progression there? I served you and then I told you to love one another. Wash the feet of the people you don't love so much and you might what? Learn to love them. Serve those that you don't like as much. And you guess what? The more you're around them, you might learn how to love them. You might learn that you have more in common with them than you thought. And we're like, oh, Lord Jesus, this is going to be hard. This is going to be hard. The disciples looked around the room, I bet, and uh, Jesus, do you have any idea how diverse we are? And the Lord is like, no, go ahead and tell me. How diverse are you, you know? Well, Lord, someone, you know, somehow you made a mistake because you've selected, uh, you know, on the same team people who, I mean, Matthew, a tax collector. He was hated by the Jews. All Jews hated the Jewish tax collectors because they were doing the bidding of the Roman government and nothing was worse than the Roman government. And you represented that. I mean, we got to love Matthew. Lord, I'm just going to level with you here. You know, have you ever leveled something with the Lord? Tell him something he doesn't know already. I'm just going to level, you know, with you, Lord. When we walked by Matthew's table and you looked down and you said, come and follow me, I did not know what you meant, that he was going to be one of us. I mean, one of us. I mean, Lord, come on. The tax collectors sat at the synagogues or outside the synagogues at a table. And they knew everyone in town. Hmm. See, Rome was very smart. Rome said, we will make you the richest person in town if you, if you work for us. Well, you can always find the one guy that wants money, Right? And they told the guy, this is how much the village owes. Collect anything more than that, you get to keep it. So you know how much they were loved in their home village, right? Their parents would have been so proud. What's your son going to be? A rabbi, a fisherman, what? A tax collector? That's what your son is going to be? Honey, we're moving, (laughs) you know. I mean, now, it was one thing for him to pick Matthew, right? But then you have to get to Simon the Zealot. Do you know about these zealots? Do you know what the zealots were about? Now, Simon the Zealot, Zealot was not his last name. It was a political party that he was a part of. Zealots were named after their knife, okay, which was called a zealot. And it was a short knife that was really curved on it, and it was hidden in their robes. It was a weapon. They could hide it really easy, and it was used on festival days. And you're thinking, festival days? Well, what was, what was it used for? They would use it to assassinate people who sold out to Rome. 
So you have Simon the Zealot, who was so passionate, he would go out and assassinate Romans and people who did the bidding of Rome in the same room with Matthew, who did the bidding of Rome. Just love one another. What is up with the Lord putting these two guys on the same team? And then three years later, he goes, I got a new one for you guys. Love one another. Now remember, they've been together for three years, and the Lord finally gets to this commandment after three years. Okay, guys, you're going to love it. Love one another. Oh, Lord, that, that's going to be hard. Whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. I'm not done yet. As I have loved you. I mean, to the point where Simon the, you know, where Simon the Zealot, you would walk by Simon's table and say, I see great potential in you. You're going to come out and hang out. You're going to come and hang out with us. You're going to be a part of our church. And you know what I've discovered? As I read the scriptures, the disciples are just like us. I mean, I would never do that, right? I mean, God keeps saving all these goofballs, and it's so irritating, you know? It's like one in three people that God saves just sitting there going, them? Come on. They're so hard to get along with. So out of 100 people, 33 of them are hard to get along with? Lord, if you're going to make me love them, could I at least be involved in picking the team? I mean, have you ever heard about the three guys on an island? I mean, I don't think it's true. It involves a genie in a bottle, so I don't think it's true. It's not in the Bible. But there's three guys. A bottle washes up on shore, and, and they, they got it, and one guy starts cleaning it off, and uh, you know, out, of the, uh, out pops a genie, and he goes, I'm going to grant you all one wish. The first guy goes, man, I miss my family so much. Please send me back to them, and I'm going to take care of them. Poof, the guy's gone. The second one, I want to go back and change careers. I don't want to waste my time in this life. Poof, he is gone. Then the third guy, you know, I was just thinking, since those guys left, I, I'm really lonely. I would like them to come back. There's always the one guy, right? You know, Jesus has the audacity not only to want to love us, but to say, okay, now you get started at loving each other as I have loved you. And you say, man, I can't wait to get to heaven because I can get away from all these church people. Well, guess what? A real church is an honest church. An honest church is a healthy church, and a healthy church just admits that it's hard for us to love each other sometimes and stop just acting. See, the first step is to admit it, right? Where we go, man, oh man, I, I love this place, but ugh, that one person just bugs me. And that's just the pastor. I mean, you know. There's some real goofballs in this place. And that's just the worship leader. I mean, you know, I mean, 
Now, this is, uh, this is part of the sermon where, where, where the, the teacher, the preacher, the pastor, whatever you want to call it, lays a huge guilt trip on all of us, right? Let's all get out there and love one another, and you need to do it. But you know what? I, I've tried that, and it doesn't work. See, the, the great part about this is Jesus doesn't expect us to get out there and do this on our own. Like we all huddle up and go, okay, break on three. No. Every single command Jesus gives us really is an impossible command. Have you noticed that? I mean, at least the Ten Commandments, there's some possibility, right? But Jesus' commands are so impossible. And, you know, I, I'm still back at last week where, where the Lord's going, wash each other's feet. And now the Lord's saying, no, no Alan, that, that was just the appetizer. Here's the main course. You need to love them. I want you to love them just as I have loved you. Okay, Lord. And we get all fired up. and we're going. I'm going to do that. And then what do we do? We fall right on our face. Before we even get to the parking lot. Because we expect you to do this on our own power. And you won't, you can't, you can't do it. But on the other hand, Jesus will never ask us to do anything that he doesn't take us through. He will never ask us. He does it through us with the help of the Holy Spirit. I can do all things, the Bible says. I can do all things. What is the rest of the verse? Through Christ, who gives me strength. You know, there's a couple of us that's really hard to love. I mean, down at the other church, of course, right? Not our church. But the reality is, the more we get to know Jesus, the more we realize we are all hard to love in one way or another, but we always seem to think it's the other guy's problem when half the time it starts with us. When we say, Lord, I am hard to love, can you start changing me to be more like you? He changes all 11 of these guys. And the Apostle Paul, who wasn't even in the room, who hated Christ uh, you know, and what he stood for, who killed Christians, and after Jesus changed him, he wrote a chapter that we all call the love chapter. It is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. You know, a lot of the world knows this chapter. <clears throat> I can do so much, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And then in verse 4 of that chapter, he starts and describes the personality of Jesus. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Paul's defining Jesus here. Jesus is this. Jesus is that. Jesus is. And then Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now put your name in there. Read it like it's your journal. Because Jesus is trying to mold you and the Holy Spirit's trying to mold you into whom? 
to be like Jesus because Jesus is like whom? The Lord. Paul is patient. Put your name in there. Gary is kind. Put your name in there. Sharon does not envy. Pam does not boast. Bob is not proud. Alan is not rude. You see what I'm saying? Put your name in there. Tyler does not keep any records of wrongs. Some of us go, wow, I'm, I'm not there yet, Lord. But you know what? By the grace of God, you keep going down that path, you will get there. You know, we would think, and some people do think this, that there are only a few people in this world that God has chosen to be saints. And the rest of us are just supposed to be mediocre church people type, right? But reality is God has a plan for every one of us to turn us into saints. We are the saints of God. We are the priests of God when we go out there into this world. People who love each other so much and so effectively that the world will watch and say, I've got to get into that group. I cannot believe that group of people. They are amazing. And I want to get into the middle of that. And they just keep saying, I just don't understand. They're amazing. They love each other. Those people love each other. Matthew, I want you to you know, love Simon. James and John, I want you to love Peter. Love them as I have loved you. And the thing, and that thing combined with the infilling of the Holy Spirit into our lives, he basically says to Peter, you're going to be the rock. That so many lives are going to come in contact with. And it's going to change the world. We're the same as Peter. Combined with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, a new command I give you, love one another. A command, not an option, but a new command. Well, let's pray as the worship team comes on up and finishes us up for the day, but let's pray. Lord, I pray that you show us how to love, one, love each other. Sometimes it seems so difficult. There's so many different things that, that irritate each one of us. And it's all different. Lord, I pray that we just have the love of God overflowing out of us, that when something hits us, what comes out? You. And that we could love each other so much that the world would see that and want to be involved in that. Lord, I, I pray for every one of us that when we see things in our own life that make us unlovable, that we hand those things over to you and that you start to change us. That we start looking uh, into our own lives and not at the other person unless we're looking at them through the eyes of yours, which has the love of God in them. If we could do that, Lord, we could change the lives that are around us. 
Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he watch over you this week as you love each other. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.